1 Samuel chapter 16, 18, and we'll go from there. I've been talking about uh, demon possession. I asked my wife a pretty fairly complicated question on the way over here. I'm going to ask you as well, don't answer yet. Sort of mull it over in your mind. I'm not sure there's a definitive answer to this question. How is it that a person, I'm thinking, I'm just thinking, I'm thinking logistics. How does the, the demon get inside the person? And in Bible times, that's one of the reasons they wouldn't eat meat offered to idols, because they thought that the demon inhabited the meat, and when they ate the meat, the demon came in through the meat into the body. So you think about that. I'll try to return to that question before we finish. 1 Samuel chapter 16, we've been looking at tonight is biblical cases of demon possession, and for those who want to teach, it seems to be on the rise, this uh, desiring to have the sign gifts again, the deliverance ministries, all these things seem to be on a rise. I was listening to a pastor said, what we've got to do, we've got to chain ourselves to the Bible. And that's it. When you stray from the clear directives of the Bible, then we're going to start having problems. And so the first proof text of a Christian being demon-possessed, we turn to 1 Samuel chapter, now I'm not saying it is, the people who promote this idea, 1 Samuel chapter uh, 16, verse 14, but the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. So some would say, well, then obviously then that that was a case of demon possession. And we talked about that, just started that last time. We're actually going to finish it just for a moment. And there are three things. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 16, talking about biblical cases of demon possession. And we talked about Saul last time. But three things I want you to put. It's in your outline, page one. The evil spirit is said to have been sent from God, not Satan. So why do, we, why do I not believe it's demon possession? That second, that first one. As, a, as that. And secondly, the evil spirit that tormented Saul is said to leave when David played his harp. No demon is said in Scripture to leave at the sound of music. It's left when the power of God is implemented and out they go. Another question, this is my own personal question, how if a believer can be demon-possessed and the rapture happens in the twinkling of an eye, how does that work? It doesn't make theological or logical sense. So just think about that too. Three, the texts all say the evil spirit came upon Saul or would depart upon him, from him. The text never says, and your blank is, the evil spirit entered Saul. So, it, so this is the external part of it that we talked about last time. Just got started on that, and we're not going to belabor the point too long because uh, we've got other things to cover, but it's the external ex. If you believe a Christian, external, external, we believe in external oppression. I believe the demons can oppress Christians. They can't indwell them or control them. So external, my marker's not very good. I see a couple squinting on that. We'll try another color. Okay, there we go. E-X-T-E-R-N-A-L, external. So I believe in external, internal is when Someone is possessed and controlled by. Possession, again, is that word that those who promote the idea that Christians can be demon-possessed, they don't like that possession because they say a demon cannot possess anything. What we mean by that is controlled. So what they would say, if you're demonized, you can either be oppressed or possessed. They put it all, it don't make a clear distinction. We make a clear distinction from the New Testament. We looked last time. 
Possession is the control inward side of the person. How does that happen? I gave you two minutes to think about it. How does it happen that a spirit we cannot see comes in? And so, before you answer that question, here's the equation I put with it. When I trusted Christ as personal Savior, often I will say, Ask the Lord to come into your heart and be your Savior. What do we do? We, we say, Lord, please be Lord of my life. So we are asking them, Him, to come in in the person of the Spirit. Do we not give them permission? That might be the equation. I think demonic... You see what I'm asking you? How does that happen? I can tell you how it happens with a Christian. It's, it's by grace through faith, and you repent of your sins. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that involves the Spirit coming to unite with our spirit on the inside. I did not see it happen. Some people feel nothing. Some people feel and start crying immediately. The emotion doesn't change the fact that the Bible says when you trust Christ, He comes in in the person of the Spirit. We invite Him in. I think, so, so no one's given me an answer. How, how does that, I'm just not sure how that happens. Because, I mean, I'm sure how we get saved, but how does a demonic spirit enter? How did that demoniac have a legion of demons inside? How did they all fit in one place? And, and, and your spirit's inside, and your eternal spirit's in here. The Holy Spirit's in here. You don't really see the real me. Because the real me is 175 pounds and have a full head of hair and long sideburns like Elvis. That's the real me. Of course, it never happened like that. But, but the real me is inside. You don't have to answer that question. It's just something I was puzzling over. Now, I, I'm not, I know how to receive Christ. As, I know what I should tell someone how to receive Christ as Savior. I didn't see the Holy Spirit. That's why it's, what's this key word we're looking for that we must have? Faith. I believe by faith that when I trusted Christ as Savior, He came in in the person of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a person. R.A. Torrey said it, it was life-changing when he realized that every time he got in the pulpit, the Holy Spirit was standing right beside him. He's a person. He's not the force. The yin-yang thing, the force, that's, that's, that's all false teaching. He's a real, he's God. Sometimes we, we, we shy away from preaching on the Holy Spirit because the Pentecostals and the, and the Holy Rollers have a corner on the Spirit. They make so much of it that we probably make far too little teaching on the Spirit. And so you have people, my wife just showed me at supper, this pastor of a conservative church just walked away and said, I'm not even a Christian anymore. We, we, we lose, and so we get people who say they are Christians and yet they've got confused over Demon possession because they have not changed themselves, and this is our sole authority. This is our sole authority. When you start going by experience instead of God's word, you're headed for a wrong, the wrong, a wrong road to go down. So was Saul demon possessed? I don't think so. If he's the clearest example, there's not a really good example if he's the clearest. Two, and we're turning to Luke chapter 13, please. Luke chapter 13. I never did make anybody answer that question. I realized that because that, that was a tough question to answer. I can tell you how to eat an Oreo cookie because I've seen that. If you have one, I might take one. Karen? Don't you think that a lot of the music that people listen to and the drugs that they take and the alcohol they drink also invites that in? What you? The, all the Ouija boards? You're opening yourself up? 
all those things. And I think, uh, I think transcendental meditation. I think the yoga. I mean, you're, you're, you're inviting, you're clearing. So I'm wondering in my mind's eye, do you have to invite so, that spirit into your life, even as unbeliever, or can they just come in? I'm just wondering. I'm not, I don't want to get too involved in that because I'm a, I, I don't want to study demon possession too much because I want to stay what the Bible says. People, and, and it's like pornography. I'm not going to look at pornography just to preach on it. There's enough in here. It's clearly, we know it's wrong. I mean, it was, that, was one politician said 30 or 40 years ago, I, I, don't, I don't know how to define it, but I know it when I see it. Could be. But, but, you know, I'm by grace through faith trusting the Holy Spirit's inside, right? Don't you have the Holy Spirit living in you? Yes. If you're a Christian, you do. So I, that's by faith. So I, but I invited him in. And you, through repentance and faith, invited him in when you received Christ as personal Savior. I didn't see him come in. But I trust it. And I know conviction. I know conviction when it happens. That's one of... Probably the singular, besides being able to read the Bible and understand it, the singular most salient truth, how I know I'm a Christian, because when I do wrong, I feel very guilty. That's that crushing spirit. The unbeliever can go out and sin, and who cares? I mean, I, I, I have nobody to, you know, they might feel some moral wrong about doing something really bad, you know. Two, tying two cats to tails and hang them over the line and then fight out. That was just moral. Some people wouldn't think that's morally wrong. But, but the Christian, don't you feel the guilt when you? Yes. Yes. All right, the daughter of Abraham. Here we go. This, we're talking about, this is our supposedly proof text, Christian demon possession. Luke 13, verse 11, starting there. Behold, there was a woman that had the spirit of infirmity 18 years. Now, by the way, the, just because uh, demonic spirits don't cause all sickness, sometimes they do, evidently, spirit of infirmity 18 years, and was bowed together and could no wise lift herself up. And when the Lord saw her, he called her unto him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. And he put his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered and with indignation, because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day. And said unto the people, there are six days in which men ought to work, and them therefore come and be healed. Not on the Sabbath day. And the Lord answered him and said, thou hypocrite, doth not each... I thought he probably would want to crawl under the nearest pew about right there. Thou hypocrite, he should have. Thou dost not, or doth not each of you on the Sabbath day loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? Now continue the thought. 16. And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these 18 years, be loosed from his bond on the Sabbath day? The principle is, if you're going to pull your ox out of the, donk, the donkey out of the ditch, this, is, this woman is a, a, a daughter of Abraham. Not saying she's a Christian. He's saying, hered, hereditarily, that's a word, she's a daughter of Abraham. It doesn't say she was a Christian. And so the whole purpose of the illustration is to tell them you're being hypocritical because you do this on the Sabbath, but this is a live human being, a daughter of Abraham. Should she not be healed on the Sabbath? And, of course, the answer is absolutely yes, unless you, are, you have the uh, joy of life curdled in your body and you are having everything is negative. That would be a Pharisee. Now, we find then that a writer, pro-writer pro of demon possession by Christians, 
would say these words. Verse 16 states that her physical disability was caused by satanic bondage. This woman was not an unbeliever, for she was a daughter of Abraham. Now that is a leap to say that a daughter of Abraham is equal to a Christian. Such a leap, if you would there, please. He goes on to say that's why he would say that she was demon-possessed. And I think we have a couple facts here on page 1, the bottom of page 1. Three things. Number one, and another would say, well, she worshipped in the synagogue. Just because you worship in the synagogue does not make you a Christian. The Pharisees worship in the synagogue, and they certainly weren't Christians or saved ones or true believers. Page 2, there's no mention in the text the woman had become a true believer. And even if she did, possibly, most likely, it's after she'd been healed. I, I, the Lord, this, this must be the Savior. Absolutely right. Until after Pentecost. So this is prior to the cross, prior to the Pentecost. And three, the phrase daughter of Abraham is no sure indication she was a believer. So you have to take a couple leaps by faith to say this woman was a Christian. A lot of leaps by faith. And that she was, as a Christian, she was bound by a demon, controlled by a demon for 18 years. That's a, that's a big leap. Not quite a big leap as if you go from creationism to evolution. Evolution's like from here to Kalamazoo, Michigan leap to believe in evolution because there's, there's no substantive evidence. Back to our text and to our topic we go. Uh, it's number three as we turn to John 13. Now we're going to really wonder at this one. John Wimber, by the way, is the late John Wimber. He was, a, he was an ordained Quaker minister. And he says that Judas was a believer. Why? Because he was one of the disciples. John 13, 27. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, that thou doest do quickly. Now, we can never argue that Judas was not possessed by a demon. And I believe Satan evidently himself entered Judas, so he was possessed. We can't argue that. There's no, everybody would agree with that. It is clear he was demon-possessed. However, it's equally clear that he was not a believer. Why would you say that? Look at, back to John 6, please. Common sense would tell you that, but we want to see it from Scripture. 670. 670, 71. And he says, answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve? And one of you is a devil. He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was it was that he for he it was that should betray him being one of the twelve. Just because he's one of the twelve, it was, I've listened to a, some time ago, and a pastor had mentored a hundred and forty-four. 144 pastors in that country, and exactly one in 12 had tried to kill him. He'd mentored him, spent all his time with him to try to bring him along to get him to be a full-time ministry, pastoring, etc. And one of every 12, one of every 12, tried to kill him. And what a percent! And we say, well, this is one in 12 here. One in 12, and I just, it was an interesting statistic, interesting thing. But we find here that, that Judas, although he had seen all these things, and in John 13, it says in verse 10 and 11 of Judas, John 13, verse 10, John 13, verse 10 says, And Jesus said unto him, right, beginning of the upper room, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. 
for he knew who should betray him. Therefore he said, ye are not all clean. So clearly from Scripture, Judas is not. Was he, was he absolutely possessed, absolutely from that point on? Yes. But was he a believer? No. He was clearly from Scripture he was not. So that's a hard, that would be a hard sell, if you would. Proof text 4 is Matthew 16, please. Matthew 16, if you would there, please. 23. Again, these are proof texts for those who want to assert that believer can be demon-possessed. I say I assert they cannot. I would say they cannot be. But you need to be able to answer. The reason people fall into wrong beliefs and cults a lot of times because they don't know what the Bible teaches. That's why people start... They, secessionism is the belief that the sign gifts have passed on and they're no longer that. There are a lot who want to bring, some even fundamental preachers want to bring those, well, what, what does that really mean? I'm telling you, they passed because the, the Bible given to us is, is complete. First Corinthians is complete. And by the way, the tongues are a part of also other types of religions other than Christianity, uh, just so you know that. I think I was listening today that tongues were all the way back in the time of the Bible and the Roman world that were speaking in tongues. Now remember, the Bible tongues are known languages given to people who did not speak them. It's like giving me the ability to speak in Japanese and there'd be an interpreter in Japanese who could speak both Japanese and English and he would stand here and tell you what I'm saying in Japanese and tell you in English. That would be the interpreter. I would be, because I've never spoken Japanese, probably never will. I'm not David Markham. But that's the gift of tongues, it was being able to speak in a language you didn't previously know so people could hear the gospel. And it is a spiritual gift, so it's not the gift of... People really have a way of skirting the issue by saying, oh no, what God gave to the people was they could hear in their own language. The Bible says it was a spiritual gift. To have a spiritual gift, you must have the Spirit. So they were able to speak, and that's what made it such a wonderful thing, they were able to speak in all these, what, 17 different dialects or languages there on the day of Pentecost, and they heard it, and 3,000 were saved. It wasn't that Mr. Womack, he, he can only speak Japanese. I'm speaking in English, and he is an unbeliever, hears it in Japanese. That's, the spiritual gift is the gift of speaking in tongues was a gift of a, to speak in a language is previously unknown, but a real language, not, thank you, gibberish. Not that. There's not an angelic language or a special private language. Listen, God is about clarity. He's not the author of the confusion. He wants people to know the gospel. He's not like hiding it under a bushel. He wants you to know. He wants us, and it's our responsibility to share it. He wants people to hear it. It's not some kind of secret club. It's just the opposite. We're to be the light of the world. Not the hiding under a bushel in some dark with the close all our blinds and pull the doors closed and have a secret meeting. That's not it at all. It's the opposite. Every window's open. As we see out, invite people to come in here. We want you to hear the gospel. That's our desire. Don't you want to see people get saved? My goodness, people should be, am I thinking they should be coming this Sunday? The way things are happening in the world, we should have packed out. We should start having to have three services a Sunday morning. When people see what's going on in the world, the Jewish people, listen, the Lord's return could be, we know it could be any moment, but it looks like it's going to be soon. I've got to get my life right with God. Now, in my common sense, common sense and ignorance, I would think that would be what they would do, but that's, 
Satan has blinded the eyes of them which believe not, lest the glorious light, glorious light of the gospel should shine upon them. He's blinded their eyes to make, well, it's going to, procrastination. We're just going to wait. Someday, someday, I'll get right with the Lord. Sad, isn't it sad? We find in, in uh, as a little bit side train, we're back on the main spur again. We're in Matthew chapter 16, verse 20, well, 23, yes. And Jesus, he turned and said unto Peter, get thee behind me. I said to Mrs. Budney, I'm sorry, Sunday night. <laughs> I, think I, I did say Cindy. Get thee behind me. She was trying to offer me a cat or something. I said, get thee behind me, Cindy. He said to Peter, Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. That are an offense unto me, for thou savest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. As I was studying that the last couple of days, I thought, I wonder, I'm not saying it happened that way. I wonder if God could see Satan standing off in the distance behind there somewhere. I mean, if, was Satan that close? I mean, they were one-on-one at the temptation. I'm just thinking. Now, so was, was Peter influenced by Satan? Or was he indwelt by Satan? Peter is a believer, and we would say influenced. Matter of fact, if you look back at just a little bit over here in 1617, we find there's another been another influence. He's gone from one side to the other in such a brief time. Simon says in 16, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon. And we know bar means son of. Bar Jonah, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood hath not revealed unto thee, but my Father, which is in heaven. So you've been under the influence of the Father when you said these right words, Thou art the Son of God. Now how quickly you have turned. You've been under the influence of Satan for this momentary time. Of course, now Peter did not understand. He often spoke before he thought. You know, wow, get thee behind me, Satan. But he was not demon possessed. He's not saying external external influence, not an inward possession. Acts chapter 5, verse 3, please. Acts chapter 5, verse 3. Acts chapter 5, verse 3, please. Acts chapter 5, verse 3. <laughs> 5-3. The church is getting started, and Peter said unto Ananias, of course they sold some property, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie unto the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? So, one man asserts, the same Neil Anderson, who is a Christian probe, demon possession by a Christian author, says that this word filled there, that proves because the same word in Ephesians 5.18, and be, but be filled with the Spirit, the same word there, then that has to mean that Ananias was filled, controlled by a demon at this point in time. But those words, interesting, the same word is used in Luke 5. If you want to go back to Luke 5, 3, verse 5. So can we use this word filled, controlled by, for Luke 3, 5? Same word. 3, 5 says, every valley shall be filled. And that's not quite controlling. And how about 5, 7? Luke chapter 5, verse 7 says for us here, And they beckoned unto their partners which were in the other ship, and they came, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the boat. Filled the ship. So they, that's not, with a, sheet, with a fish controlling the boats inside the boat? No, they weren't. So this, you can't say every single time this word filled means controlled by. In your outline, think about this. 
If we say that Ananias was indwelt and controlled by Satan, then it was not Ananias who lied, but Satan who lied. And if Ananias was under the control of Satan, then Satan is the one who spoke the lie, not Ananias. In that case, Satan, not Ananias, is responsible for the lie. But what does the Bible say? And you have to keep coming back. Chapter 5, verse 4. Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? After it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Yes. Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. So it wasn't, he did the lying. He, had, he got under the, you see Christians all the time, they get under the wrong influence. And as Karen mentioned, it, it, who, well, the things that influence us today, you put yourself, I'm not saying you could be demon possessed and controlled, but I'm saying you can't be oppressed. You get around wrong kind of things. You can do that. It can happen. Peter clearly believed it was Ananias. He didn't say demon. And if it was a demon, why didn't he say demon come out of him right now? Why didn't they start praying the demon out? If it was a de- so it, does, it really falls apart, this idea that Ananias and Sapphira, as believers, were controlled by Satan. So let's go right to the, the, uh, the lightning round, number four, the termination. And these are so good. Just to, I got them, most of them written down for you. True believers are radically different from the world. They are new creatures in Christ. So we have been delivered. Colossians 1.13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. We've been delivered from that by God's power. It's God's power who saved us and he indwells us and he strengthened us and he's not going to let the uh, demonic spirit indwell us. Second, we are temples of the living God. What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own? Thirdly, John comforts his readers with the certainty that, 1 John 4, 4, ye are of God, little children have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If the demon was in here, inside the believer, he would have to say, greater is he who is in you than he who is in you. Greater is he who is in you than he is in No. Greater is he that is in you that is in the world. So you can't have those, both those parties. Jesus, God cannot abide sin. What happens when we sin? Ephesians 4.30. And what not the Holy Spirit? Grieve. He's grieved. Have you ever grieved the Spirit? I think I've spent a lot of my life grieving the Spirit, sadly. And shame on me. Shame for shame. When you realize He's walking beside you. All the time. What you're thinking. What you're saying. I, I spoke. This is a very transparency. I sent a text to my wife. And you know how Siri misses words. So I ended up. She typed a word I never even typed. Begin with S and ends in T. So my wife said. Siri really got you on this time. And I oh, I don't even type that word. I should not. How can you. It did it. You know. You know, the Lord's watching even closer than that. What you think in your mind. I look back and I, I just, every time I, I said, Lord, please forgive me. I, I've had a mind that has wandered from you so often. When we realize He is there with us, thinking the thoughts, and I sometimes I've knowingly chosen to think or do something I knew. Because I thought that little momentary pleasure was worth far more than the peace of God. 
Woe is me. Woe is me. He, he's with us. We are kept, we're sealed in, first, in Ephesians. In 1 John 5, 18, what, we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, or does not habitually commit sin. He that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one touches him not. God's protecting us. Number five, there's a complete absence of instruction in the New Testament on how to deal with a demon-possessed believer. If it was something we had to do all the time, as some deliverance ministries say every week, then it would be clearly, it should be in the Bible somewhere, right? Yes. Six, the teaching of the New Testament for dealing with the devil is always the same. What are we to do? Question four, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God. Have you found this this correlation? If you keep your mind right, the temptations are a whole lot farther from you. And and sometimes you don't even... and And then as the closer you get to God... It's like if you've ever had Diet Coke from Diet Coke from McDonald's, I have the best Diet Coke. And and you have and you can go to other places here, and that, that's that's not the same kind of and, oh that's not that and, and there's nowhere else I found. They have Diet Coke on a fountain. But it is not McDonald's Diet Coke. And the closer, the more I drink of that, the more I can tell when it's something just a little bit off. The closer I get to God and you get to God. Those little things that you used to not you used to think you used to do without even thinking about it. Oh, I'm not doing that anymore. Lord, how I've grieved you by doing that. As you draw nigh to God, I'm telling you, the sin becomes apparent. And the closer you go, I tell you what, the more peace you'll have if you'll get rid of the junk. Get rid of the junk. You may mean we haven't had TV for two or three years, four years. I love it. I love it. Now when I hear the TV's on, it's like, that's taking up my time. It, it's, it, this is my space, and that TV's, it's blaring into my space. I don't want to hear that. I would rather read the Bible, read the study ahead. I'm studying almost all the time anyway, but, but there we are. So I would encourage you. I know uh, it's right, right time to quick. Bottom line, summary, true believers cannot be demon-possessed. Or indwelt, because we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us from the moment of salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your clear teaching. May we not stray from that. Give us safety as we go our separate ways this evening. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.